0: Life in the early church, and here we are, we're at Acts chapter 9, and we're going to be looking this morning at Saul's conversion. But before I do that, I just want to take us back to something in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 18. Luke there records a story about a certain ruler. He says there's a certain ruler who came to Jesus and who asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered this ruler by saying, well, you know the commands. You know the commandments and and Jesus goes on to name some of them. You don't steal, don't, don't do this, don't do that. So he mentioned a few of the commandments to the man. And the ruler quickly replies, I've kept those ever since I was a boy, I've kept those. So I guess it went silent for a moment. But then Jesus comes back to him and he says to him, you're still lacking one thing. Sell all you have and give to the poor and then come and follow me. And hearing this, the ruler, it says his face fell. He, he became sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So as he's saying this to this ruler, and everybody's watching and seeing the expression on this guy's face and seeing how he's impacted, Then the disciples turn to Jesus and and they have a question. And they're looking at this and then they turn to Jesus and they say, well, hang on a second. If it's difficult for him, if it's difficult for rich people, if it's difficult for people to get into the kingdom, how are we going to get into the kingdom? Who then can be saved is what they said. And then Jesus turns to them and says, well, what is impossible for man is possible for God. So having described how difficult it is for people to come in, having described some of the resistances and the differences that cause people to, be stopped, to stop people coming into the kingdom, Jesus says, look, what's impossible for man is still possible for God. And I was thinking about that, and you know, that statement, what is impossible for man is possible for God, is still possible for God, is really what I want to unfold to you this morning. Because we're going to look at a story where here's a situation of a man, Saul. And this man, Saul, is right in the midst of helping to persecute the early church. He is there at the center of it. That's what he's doing. And this guy, Saul, is causing terror and is causing stress and is causing fear to go widespread across the early church. He's there at the center. We're talking about this man. And it would seem for everybody, how could this man And his life be turned around. That's impossible. He's against us. But what is impossible for man is still possible for God. And today we're going to see that with God's working in his life, he turned Saul around. And Saul encompassed a major transformation as he was converted. And you know, I was trying to think, with the World Cup on, I want to put this into football language for you, for those who don't under... Well, those who follow football. This is like a Tottenham supporter suddenly becoming an Arsenal supporter. This is like a Manchester United supporter suddenly switching to become a Manchester City supporter. This is like an Everton supporter switching over to become a Liverpool supporter. And if you're one of those supporters, you're, you're fixed in that. That's who you are. That's your heritage. That, that's what you stand for. You stand for that club. But suddenly you change allegiance and now you're the completely the opposite team. That is what this story is like. What seems impossible, what is impossible for man, is possible with God. All right, here we are looking at the early church. So let's just go back and refresh ourselves a little bit of the situation that we have come to and what life is like in the early church. The Jewish ruling council, which is made up of 71 elders, leaders of all the religious people, This this council is meeting together. This council is getting edgy because they want to support the work of Judaism. They want to support the work of the law. They want to see the righteous law of Moses being upheld across the community. And yet, things are happening. There's this group of new believers who keep following and talking about Jesus, and they're causing all sorts of problems. And so there's a tension that is beginning to arise in the community at this time. This council, this Sanhedrin, have already called two of the disciples. They've called Peter and John. And they've had them come before them because they've healed this guy at the gate beautiful. And there's all sorts of controversy around that. So they bring them in, bring them in before them. And they talk to them and they say to Peter and John, We want you to stop, talking about, uh, uh, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. In fact, it's not, would you please do it. They command them. The Sanhedrin command them. Will you stop talking about the name of Jesus Christ? And Peter and John pipe up in the midst of this meeting. And they actually say, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? Whoa! you can imagine a pin dropping at that moment. These are tense moments in Jerusalem. Because you can feel the power struggles that are going on. People are talking about Jesus and yet the Sanhedrin want everybody to come back. And for everything to go back as it was, they're following the ways of Moses. Peter and John went away from that encounter with the Sanhedrin. They gather the believers together and the believers together, they pray. And this is the prayer they prayed, Acts 4, 29-31. Now, Lord, they cried, consider their threats. This is the threats of the Sanhedrin and those elders. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly. You can see that the Christians are gathering together. And they're standing firm. Because of what Jesus has taught them. Because of what has happened. Because of what is happening inside of them. Hey we could say weren't these people baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Yes they were. And yet here they are being filled again with the Holy Spirit. And they're speaking the word of God with boldness. So despite the Sanhedrin's threats. Uh, this continuation of the preaching of Jesus happened. And you know, the believers were very powerful because they were very united. We've already looked at the fact they were united together. They they shared their things together. They made sure nobody had any great needs. They were actually looking out for one another and being together. There was great unity amongst the church. And not only was there great unity amongst the church, the apostles themselves were doing tremendous signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. And you know what? There was a fear that came upon the people. So much so that it actually says that some people were, were frightened to join them because they respected them. There was an awe about these believers and what they were doing. God's power was moving amongst them and the believers were growing in number and growing in strength. But as I say, there's this continuing divide between this group, the Jesus group if you like, and the Moses group. There's that divide that is growing and we see what happens because one of the Christians group, the Jesus group, this young man named Stephen who'd been called upon to help serve with the food bank amongst the early church, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom it said of him, but the Sanhedrin and the people on the Moses side, they didn't like what was going on and so they actually appoint some people and Stephen is wrongly accused of blasphemy And because it's blasphemy, who's he brought in front of? He's brought in front of this ruling council, the Sanhedrin. So there is Stephen standing before these people, and he's actually allowed to give an account. Well, we are accusing you of blasphemy. What have you got to say for yourself? So in front of these 71 people, which is intimidating, Stephen stands up, and he starts to give them a message. And they're listening, because he's going through this message of basically what's happened in the Old Testament. But then things turn rather sour as we get to Acts 7, verses 51, where Stephen suddenly says to this group of the leaders, the elders of Israel, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels. But have not obeyed it. This is powerful stuff. That this young man is bringing before this community. And you would have thought. Wow. There was looks, there was scowls. They were probably reeling even as they heard the words of this young man coming towards them. And you think that things were turning sour at this point, but then the next few words of Stephen really sealed everything. Acts 7.55 But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, it says, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, it says, the Sanhedrin covered their ears. And yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. Dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, as we mentioned just last week, a major shift, or the week before, a major shift happens at this point. Because now this divide between the Moses group and the Jesus group really comes to a head. And here's my first point, the old way or the new way? And I just going to start by looking at a scripture that we had last week, Acts 8, verses 1 and 3. And it says there, And Saul approved of their killing him. This is of Stephen. He was standing there, not only holding the coats of these people, but he's just like, Yeah, this is right. This is what needs to happen. That's the sort of attitude that we see of Saul. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Things are very difficult in Jerusalem. So as we saw last week, many of the believers now have gone away from Jerusalem. They've gone to other cities around. This young man Saul is on a campaign. Acts 9, we finally get there. Acts 9, first two verses, 1 and 2. Meanwhile, it says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Point two, Saul's mission. Saul has a single focus, and that is to wipe out anybody who's following the way. Now, the way is actually what the early Christians were called. They were followers of the way. Why were they followers of the way? Well, Jesus said, I am the way. But people often go their own way. Salvation means, I say okay to his way. But in this case... Saul is saying, no way to the way. took me a long while, actually, to write out that. And I was sitting laughing to myself, so I actually wanted to bring it this morning. Okay. (laughs) Look, people are following the way because it's the way of Jesus. They're not following the Moses way, they're following the way of Jesus. And therefore, there are now things that these people are doing. This is the way that we're walking in. And that's... Amongst the other people, oh, they're followers of the way. Those people, that's what they do. No, we're still going to the synagogue and doing this, but they're following the way. That's what they were trying to describe. And so Saul was on the lookout. Anybody who's of this sect, the way, well, we're going to name them. We're going to get hold of them. I'm taking them back to Jerusalem. We're imprisoning them. Men and women, it doesn't matter. We're going to block this whole thing out. That was the mission that Saul was about. He was about to destroy the church. To destroy the church. How? By going from house to house. It wasn't just like. Have I heard about where some people are meeting? I'm going to go to every house. And we're going to find these people. And we're going to remove them. That's what he was doing. He says he was breathing out murderous threats. How would you feel if you knew that murderous threats. Were being breathed out against you. Uncomfortable isn't the word is it? Fearful. You'd be What's going to happen next? What's going on? This is Saul's mission. He's had success in Jerusalem. But I guess because he's seen that actually now the believers have, have fled Jerusalem. He's going after them of where they are. And that is why he is on his way to Damascus. Acts 9 verse 3. As he nears Damascus. So he's set his sights on going to Damascus to get hold of these believers of the way, these followers of the way, I'm going there to get them. As he is on his journey to Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You can imagine it, can't you? Your name is being called out. You hear it, Saul, and you, did I hear that? Saul, again it comes. So this is getting your attention. Somebody's calling my name. And as he hears his name, he then hears these words, why do you persecute me? What's going on here? So naturally, he says, who are you, Lord. He said, who, who, what's this? Because it's a voice in the midst of nothing. It's just coming to him. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. What an encounter? Talk about being stopped in your tracks. Suddenly, he's got Jesus talking to him. It's interesting, isn't it? Saul went to Damascus under the authority of, of the Sanhedrin. Now a higher authority than them is speaking to him. And he's now being faced with the highest authority, the authority of Jesus Christ himself. He's told by Jesus, verse 6, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men, it says, traveling with Saul, stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. This is a major encounter. What what do you mean major encounter? It's just a voice. They're on a journey, and it's just a voice. But it's not just a voice, is it? This is Jesus Christ literally stopping this persecutor of the church in his tracks. What interests me is you, you have that interaction, and you're going through it, and you can see like, wow, he's heard his name, and he's like, who am I persecutor? Who is this? What's going on here? And he's on his face. That's what it seems like. He's got his eyes closed. He doesn't even realize he can't see. It's only when, okay, the voice has stopped now. I get up off the ground. And he goes to open his eyes, and he can't see anything. So suddenly, the confusion that there would have been with the people around him. Because here's this guy who would have been leading them. This is what we're going to do. And probably talking about what they're going to do when they get into Damascus. And now suddenly, everybody's heard the voice. He's now changed. He can't see. He needs to be led. The whole thing is falling apart and yet it's not falling apart because this is God's wonderful plan of encountering Paul. So Paul has this major encounter. And you know what? It's a shaking of all of his strongly held beliefs. And over the next few days, it must have been an intense time of Saul. In his All of the things going round and round in his mind, thinking. Because he was just shut away in this blindness in this darkness let's go to point three we're going to look at the disciple Ananias so we're now shifting to another scene and now this is a disciple of the way who lives in Damascus his name is Ananias Acts 9 verse 10 in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias the Lord called to him in a vision Ananias so he's speaking again yes Lord he answers to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, I'm I'm sort of assuming when I read that, that all of that story, if you like, was the vision. That's what he saw. So it's almost like he sees himself having a conversation with God in this, in this vision. I don't, I don't quite know how it is. But there's no doubt in his mind. He knows that he's been talking to God. God's been talking to him. And he's been given these instructions. And it's a bit crazy. But I, I, I love Ananias' reaction. Because he's just a normal person. He's saying, you what? You what? You're talking about Saul? You must be crazy, God. Have you not heard about what he's doing? Have you not heard about the murderous threats he's breathing out? Have you not heard the destruction he's causing in Jerusalem? Have you not heard that he's coming here? And God's saying, yeah, but I'd like you to go. Please, will you go? I say, so, you've got this sort of bizarre situation. Here's Ananias saying, you've got to be kidding, God. And God's saying, no, I'm not kidding. I need you to obey. And it just strikes me, you know, All this stuff about, oh, Christians, you know, we're going to do this. If God told me this, I'd do that. Would we? What we see in this story is here is a disciple who is a disciple. What is a disciple? Someone who follows their master. What he says, I will do. Where he sends, I will go. That's what a disciple is. And here we're being shown what a true disciple is. I don't fancy the idea of that, but please will you go. Do you know who this guy is? He's breeding out murderous threats. Yes, but please will you go, because I need you to go and lay hands on him. Bless the man, he obeys. Bless him, he is faithful. Bless him, he is confident. And that's a striking thing for us. He might have been going nervously, but he went knowing that God is good and that he is serving God. All right, let's just nip back to our friend Saul. Saul, he's not eating or drinking. He's on a dry fast. Now, that's, that's something. And it just shows the level of shock that he had gone into. It's like, I, I, I don't need anything else. I've got so much stuff going on in my mind right now. Food is of no interest to me. Drink is of no interest to me. So he's on a dry fast for these three days. In any case, it, just close your eyes for a moment. That's the world that he's living in for these three days. And you know what? You can open your eyes again now, by the way. Okay? There's a sense in no, No, please do open your eyes, otherwise, I think you're asleep. Um, there's a sense in which he's lost. It, he's locked away. It, it, Because if you were to keep your eyes closed for a long period of time, it it is confusing. What's going on? I, I can't see what's going on around me. I'm used to seeing, I'm used to that sense and all of what my eyes bring into me. I'm used to that, but it's been taken away. So just behind that, the brain is going over and over and over. He's thinking of all sorts of different things that are happening. And all he's got going, is, you've got to go to this city, you've got to wait... Because you will be told what to do. So what does that look like? How's that going to be? How's this going to happen? What's it all going to be like? Well, eventually, three days later, we come to my fourth point, Ananias arrives at Straight Street. So, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I wonder if Ananias went straight in and said, Saul, right, you know, he came in. This is what I've come to do. I've come to lay hands on you. You know, get as many words in before Saul had any reason to react. I don't know how it was. But he said, that's what he said. I've come here that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit and that you might see again. Verse 18, immediately, immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You know, when you've been told something's going to happen, and you don't know quite how it's going to happen, but then it does happen, it's like, oh, wow, everything sort of seems to fit together. And it must have had that sort of moment about it. This is what I've been told. This has now come to pass. I can now see again. I have now Everything was coming together just as it had been told. It was a wow moment. It must have been a wow moment when the door was knocked at and Ananias came in. A wow moment for Saul. Wow! I, is this the guy who's come to tell me what I've got to do? Is this what's got to happen? And then there was another wow moment and suddenly he's going from darkness into light. It's amazing isn't it? this I, was, I thought I was in the light because I was going about doing the work that Moses had asked us to do or supporting the priests. Then Saul goes to darkness he meets the light and now he's come into the light because his eyes have been fully opened. There's all sorts of parallels that are going on here but it For me, it's just a wow moment. For Saul, Jesus, you are the Messiah. That's the complete opposite to the position that he'd taken before. That's now been completely turned around. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You really are who you said you were. And wow, you're touching my life. So for Saul at that point, Just as Peter had preached on the day of Pentecost, how, you know, when people said, what must we do? You need to repent and you need to be baptized, every one of you. And so Saul himself was baptized. Baptized probably in one of the rivers in Damascus. My last point before we come to an end here. Uh, Transformation has taken place. And it is dramatic transformation. The thing is, we're so familiar with the story. Oh yeah, Saul, uh, sort of a Damascus Road experience. Oh yeah, move on. This is such a turnaround. This guy had been crucifying the church, you could say. He had been seeking to wipe out the church. Saul, the persecutor, has become Saul, the disciple. What is impossible for man is still possible for God. And, you know, it made me think about, well, what's it possible for us? Especially in terms of salvation. Especially as we're coming up to our carol services and wanting to invite people. And we're thinking like, oh, not them. They're impossible. There's so many people in our families, those who you're going to meet over Christmas. And you think like, well, not them. They're never going to. What is impossible for man, what we think is impossible, what seems impossible, what seems too big a mountain for ever to be climbed is still possible for God. So we've got to put aside our own thoughts and feelings and we need to pray for our family members. You need to pray for those people who you're visiting, who you're seeing over Christmas time. Because you don't know the conversations you're going to have. But the reason that Jesus came Was to rescue people from their sins. And unless people are rescued from their sins. There is an eternity that is without God that they are facing. And therefore our mission. As people of the way. Is to bring many other people into that way. Of knowing the salvation. And the forgiveness of sin. That only Jesus and his blood can bring to us. That's our mission. And you know what? Even this week. Those leaflets that we've got for our carol service do you know what by the time Sunday evening comes next week it'll be too late for the carol service for that, that part of that leaflet is now useless it's only this week can you think of people that you know neighbours, friends people who need to hear the gospel we need to get those leaflets out to them we don't have long Jesus is coming back we don't know when, but I know this, it's sooner than it was last week. Because his, his day of return is coming ever nearer. And we need to remember that even though we think, oh no, that's never going to happen, Lord. What is impossible for man is possible for God. For Saul, it's amazing because we see his transformation from this point of view. That actually, it says in uh, verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, at once, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once. There's no messing. This is, he has been turned around. He now knows that this, he's been following the wrong way. This is the right way. And he's going to tell everybody about it. At once, he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. What a transformation! Only God can do such transformations. What is impossible for man and our human ability is possible for God and his ability. So let's make sure that we press in upon God because he is able to do what we cannot. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromley'shumpchurch.com.